I came across something this week that I didn't know existed. I found on the Social Security Administration's homepage a life expectancy calculator. You can calculate how long you are expected to live. I, of course, that's very important to the Social Security people. They want to know how long they might have to pay Social Security benefits to you. And so they even make it possible for you to calculate how long they think you're going to live. Well, of course, I had to calculate. I had to, I had to put my numbers in and see how it turned out. And at my current age, the Social Security Administration is predicting that I'll live another 21 and a half years. <laughs> 21 and a half years. Now that got me thinking a little bit. Think about that. Of course, a third of your time typically is spent sleeping. So that's something over seven years of those 21 I've got left that I'll spend sleeping. They say that we spend another 10% of our time uh, on just necessary chores, uh, personal hygiene, eating meals, and so forth. And so uh, that's another, you know, couple years. And then they say that you sh the average person will spend at least 10% of his time in recreation. So that's another couple years. When I subtracted all the things that will take place, guess what? I calculate that I have something on the order of 10 and a half productive years of life left. That's kind of eye-opening. That's a little bit shocking to think about it. And of course, that's not taking into consideration potential diminishing health uh, or physical ability. And so I've got just shortly over 10 years of productive time left, not counting the fact that I may get sick or, or become disabled or something else that happens that will limit that time. Wow. When you think about it that way, then it really does, I think, emphasize the importance of numbering our days. We want to spend some time in our worship this morning thinking about the importance of getting a grasp on the idea of the limited time we have while we're here on earth. We want to talk about numbering our days this morning. We stop here before we go further into this brief study just to say welcome and thanks for being here. We're so glad on this beautiful Lord's Day morning in Middle Tennessee that we have a chance to come together with others who share our faith, who share our priorities, who care about the same things that we care about. We, grow, we gain great encouragement by being together, and we thank you so much for being here. We have visitors this morning, and we always want to make sure that our visitors know that you are welcome here, and we hope you'll come back just every time you have a chance to be with us at College View. We're open to your questions, your comments. If you see or hear anything that uh, is confusing to you, you don't understand, or might even potentially disagree about, please say so, so we can get our Bibles out and study what God's Word says, because we're committed to trying to follow God's Word as carefully as we can, and all we do here at College View. Let's talk about numbering our days. As a text for our study this morning, I want to suggest to you Psalm 90, verses 1 and 2, that says simply, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. There's just three simple observations from that statement that I would like to point out. And the first of them is that we need to number our days. And the fact that our days can be numbered suggests there's only a finite quantity of them. If, if something can be numbered, then there are just so many and not more. 
So as humans, we need to understand that our existence here on earth is only temporary and it's not going to go on forever. There's not an infinite number of days of our lives. Our lives and the days of our lives can be numbered. In the context, so the first point is realize the frailty and the temporary nature of our human existence. That's what we want to do. In the very context of Psalm 90, where we're taking that statement, in the very context of that, it says some things about God and contrasts Him with man. For instance, concerning God, look at Psalm 90, beginning verse 1. Lord, Thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever Thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, Thou art God. Thou turnest man to destruction and sayest, Return, ye children of men, for a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past and as a watch in the night. Just to emphasize a couple of the expressions right there. God has been in all generations. So we have a generation, right? As humans, this is our generation, singular. God has been through all generations. He's, he's uh, eternal, of course from everlasting to everlasting. And that actually serves as a very fitting description of deity. One of the attributes of deity is that God has no beginning and will know no end. He is from everlasting to everlasting. And of course, I think an expression that catches our attention here is the one that says, for a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday, and when it is past, when it is past and as a watch, in the night. I'm sure that probably reminds you of a similar statement in the New Testament in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. A thousand years are as a day, and a day is a thousand years with the Lord. I would argue that here we have what is accommodative language. Uh, it's, it's meant to emphasize the point that God's not bounded by time at all. Uh, it, this is just sort of trying to put a... a, a expression on it that we can grasp hold of, but actually a thousand years is, you know, Second Peter 3 verse 8, a thousand years is a day and a day is a thousand years, but that's just to help us try to grasp the fact that God is not limited or bound by time at all. He is eternal. Now that's God, okay? That's the way God is, but that same chapter, Psalm 90, contrasts man with God. Notice what it says about man. It says, Thou carriest them away as with a flood. They are as asleep. In the morning they are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourisheth and groweth up. In the evening it is cut down. Notice the expression, carried away like a flood. You know, we get the idea of a flood that comes up quickly and is gone. That's the way human existence is. Uh, it's as asleep. You sleep and it's gone. Or as the grass. We're like that. Grass doesn't li live long, as, even as plants go. Uh, the, the, the grass groweth up and withereth soon away. But of course, in that section, the one that, again, really catches our attention is where it says, the days of our years are three score and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off, and we fly away. You know, this psalm was written on the order of 3,000 years ago. But 3,000 years ago, a man's life expectancy could be considered three score years and ten. Well, a score, of course, is 20, so three score is 60, and ten makes 70. 
And so the psalmist says a man's life is about 70 years, and if he's a particularly strong man, he may live to fourscore or 80 years. 3,000 years ago, that was the reality of human existence on earth, and it still pretty much tells the tale as well, right? We might have, a, in, in this age of advanced medical care and so forth, we might have a little longer life expectancy than that, but it's not much different than it was 3,000 years ago. And what happens? We are cut off and we fly away. That's the way human existence is. Some people act as though they will live forever. Uh, and... and we all need to realize that's simply not the case, and we need to deal with the fact that that's not the case. I've known of people who seem to be shocked uh, and were terribly uh, devastated when they found out that something was going to end their life. You know, they were old, and maybe they were diagnosed with some terminal uh, uh, disease of one sort or another. And I've known people who seem to simply be blown away by that. And the thought that always comes to mind is, did you think you would live forever? Didn't you know? Weren't you dealing with the fact that life here is brief and it will not go on indefinitely, that you're going to die? We need to understand that. We need to deal with that reality. We need to contemplate our own mortality. In James chapter 4, where Cole was reading for us earlier from James chapter 4, beginning verse 13, Go to now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Life here is temporary. It's just short-lived, and it'll soon be gone. When James uses the picture of a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and vanish away. I think that really captures it so well. Usually when I read that in James chapter 4, verse 14, about that vapor that appeareth for a little time and vanishes away, it always draws my mind to a cold morning when you go out and start your car, and just a, a cloud of vapors come out of the tailpipe. But, and it seems like there's a lot there, and suddenly it just is gone. And that's the way life will be. That is our mortal existence, and we need to understand so our first simple observation from this statement in Psalm 90, verse 1 and 2, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom, is the very idea we have to accept that life is not forever and that our time here on earth is very limited. Now, secondly, notice that we need to be taught this perspective on things. The proper perspective on life has to be learned. It does not come naturally. As we were just saying, some people seem to act like their life will go on forever and they'll never die, but of course we know that is not the case. The, the problem with people who are not thinking about the end of life and what is beyond, the, the problem is that they haven't learned to see things the way they really are. The psalmist says we need to be taught this principle of uh, temporary life, judgment, uh, eternity to follow. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, the Apostle Paul talked about himself. He says, Not that I speak in respect of what, for I have learned, in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Notice, Paul said, I have learned this. I have learned that in this life I can be content in whatever state that I am in. Notice his emphasis on the fact that he learned that. As we've studied the life of the Apostle Paul, we are reminded that he was apparently once a wealthy, certainly an influential man. 
that he was very high ranking in power among the Jews, and that he forsook that all uh, and had lived in some degree of poverty at times in order to be able to serve the Lord faithfully and proclaim his gospel throughout the world. He had learned that those things, serving God, being faithful through the Lord Jesus Christ, was more important than the things that he had known before. He had learned that. He had learned a different perspective on life. And that's what we're suggesting. We have to learn the right way to view things. In Romans chapter 8, verse 18, Paul says, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Paul had suffered a lot of things. and he ta- When he talked about the suffering of this present time, you know, that, I suppose that that could include just normal consequences of aging and so forth. But here I think, certainly more particularly, Paul is talking about the sufferings that had come through the persecutions that were being heaped not only upon him, but upon other Christians as well in that time. I'll tell you, it would, it, it's hard to take just the normal aging process. It would be even harder to take the sufferings that came by way of persecution. It'd be really hard to accept that and deal with that unless you had the perspective and understanding that Paul has. This life is brief. Eternity will follow. The things that we might have to deal with here can't compare at all to what it will be like hereafter if we're faithful to the Lord. That's the perspective. We, again, that perspective doesn't come naturally. We would never even know to think that way if it weren't for the things that God has revealed to us in His Word. But we need to work hard at developing that outlook. Again, Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, he says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I've always been impressed, and I know you have been too, when Paul would describe the things that he put up with as light affliction. When you read the long list of the things that he had suffered by way of persecution, I mean very hard things, life-threatening things, and he called it light affliction. Well, how do you get light affliction out of that? Well, by perspective, by comparison. He, he realized that the things that we see here, what we're dealing with right here, th- these are just temporary things. The things we're not seeing are eternal, and those are the ones that are really important. And that's what we have to develop. As we realize we're not going to be here forever, our lives here are frail and short. We've got to develop this perspective of more important things with God and doing His will. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 It says, it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. How do you keep up with your appointments? Uh, I don't know about at your house, but at our house, Cindy on on the refrigerator has magnets. And if there's a doctor's appointment or some other thing that needs to be remembered by way of an appointment, she'll stick it up there with a magnet on the refrigerator. Probably some of you do that too. Or I've known of people who would take a note and tape it to the mirror in the bathroom because you're going to go in the bathroom and you're going to look at that mirror every day before you go about your affairs and that'll be a reminder you you need to be reminded about important appointments well here's an appointment that we all have and it's the most important one to remember our appointment with death and judgment that's our big appointment and we need to never lose sight of that 
In Romans chapter 14, beginning verse 11, Paul says, As it is, it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. That appointment with death and judgment is described here. You will bow the knee to God. You will confess to Him. You will acknowledge His Son, Jesus Christ, as Savior. The problem will be, you're going to do that. That's, there's no question about that. You are going to do that. The problem is, if you don't do it in time, it will be too late to affect the salvation of your eternal soul. What's your situation this morning? Have you never done that? Have you never confessed to God? Have you never acknowledged Jesus as Savior? Have you never been obedient to the simple gospel plan of salvation? Don't go on. I mean, it doesn't even make sense. And we're going to talk about this in a minute. It doesn't make sense to ignore these realities that we're talking about this morning. Is it the case with you that you were once a Christian, but you've fallen away and you haven't been faithfully serving Him? Why would you linger in that situation when you know that your days here are brief and temporary? Realize what's really important and get busy doing the things that are necessary to have a relationship with God and a hope for eternity in heaven. Finally, one last point from, these, from this simple expression. Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. And we would argue that when we develop this proper outlook on life, then it will affect the way we live and we will live wisely. We've often defined wisdom as the ability to apply knowledge. So you know, and then wisdom is putting that knowledge into practice in your life. You know, uh, you could talk about a, a car mechanic, and someone could say, well, you know, he's really wise when it comes to working on cars. And, and, and what, what you would mean by that is he just doesn't know the technical aspects of how a car works, but he knows how to get in there and get his hands dirty and make it and fix it when it's wrong. You know, this would be the difference between a guy who just sat in a room and read a technical service manual on a car. He knows something about the car, but the guy who is putting it into application, that's wisdom, right? It could be a car mechanic. It could be an accountant. Uh, here we are coming uh, full blast into tax season, and so you, you're going to choose an accountant to help you do your taxes. And here's a guy, he's read, he's read 10 books on preparing taxes. He, he knows a lot of, he, he, he's read those books, and he really spent some time trying to, to you know, memorize the principles stated in the, in the book. Well, that's not necessarily the guy I want. I want a guy who's actually done it, right? I mean, who, who puts that into practice. Well, that's what we're talking about here. We need to know about the frailty and temporary nature of our human existence. We need to develop a, a, a right perspective on life, and then we have to put it into practice in living for God. I'm just going to offer one passage here by way of emphasis, and it's the famous words that Jesus said at the end of his Sermon on the Mount. Now, Jesus had taught just a host of vital spiritual principles in the Sermon on the Mount. Lots of important stuff in the Sermon on the Mount. And at the end of it, he told this, and our kids sing the story about the wise man and the foolish man, but we need to understand it too. Matthew 7, beginning verse 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man that built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. 
And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Every one of us here this morning is going to be in the category of one of those two described there. Will you be wise in learning the truths of the Scripture, understanding the necessity of spiritual preparation, living your life the way you should in view of death, judgment, and eternity? Will you be a wise person? If you are, then that would mean that you would obey the gospel plan of salvation and that you would live faithfully to the Lord every day. That plan of salvation that we so often reference is hear the truth, believe it, repent of your sin, uh, repent of your sins, confess your faith in Jesus, and be baptized for the remission of sins. If you've not done that, wisdom would dictate that you should. And we stand ready to assist you this morning. Why would you wait? Be wise in obedience to the Lord. If you're a Christian already, but you've fallen away, wisdom says, in view of all that we know, that you need to be making your life right with God. Why would you postpone that? Come back to Him in repentance, confession, and prayer. We're ready to assist you this morning. Will you uh, make your decision for the Lord today? If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing this song. Lord,